0: You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Whole Foods Market is a proud partner of Edible Manhattan, Edible East End, and Edible Brooklyn. Join us this summer in celebrating good beer with the Edible Team's July 26th event at Brooklyn Academy of Music. Come taste and sip as we pair our favorite selection of pickles and cheeses with Sierra Nevada. Visit www.wholefoodsmarket/bowery for more information.
1: Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are broadcasting from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. Um, We are the ladies of Groundworks Inc. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. And we design, install and maintain gardens in and around New York City. And we often have questions about plants and in researching topics for the show. And we often consult our friends at the Botanical Gardens, a great resource for all things horticultural, both current and historic. And today we have some great friends from the Brooklyn Botanic Garden in our own backyard. We have Paul Harwood, who's the herbarium supervisor, and Steve Glenn, manager of the Metropolitan Flora Project. Welcome, gentlemen.
2: Hello. Hello.
1: So we have to ask uh, this question because some of our listeners might not know. What is a herbarium and what is the Metropolitan Flora Project? Um, Paul is going to shed some light on that great word. Herbarium, and tell us a little bit about the founding of BBG. And Steve is going to tell us all about the native species here in Brooklyn and New York City and the surrounding areas and how that impacts us as gardeners and people committed to species survival. Not just our species, but hmm. others <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, Paul, let's start with a herbarium. Sure. What does a herbarium... And a flora project have to do with a botanic garden. Isn't it just a nice place to walk with your family when they come into town?
2: Well, the actual uh, uh, definition of a botanic garden means it has to be a, uh, a scientific venture, so to speak. Uh, it, uh, they were actually instituted uh, for learning uh, back in the Middle Ages. I should say in the Renaissance, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an herbarium, I get that question all the time, what is an herbarium? And it's actually hard to explain, I guess, but I found the easiest way to explain it is that it's a plant library. Uh, what we do is we uh, we go out into the field or we get specimens from around the world, uh, and they're pressed flat, and then they're dried, and then they're glued on paper, and uh, we, we store those away... Uh, by classification, meaning re- related families are put together, or related genuses are put together. Uh, so uh, they they're, they're called rank. Uh, you have uh, a, m- a number of related genuses will, will will be ranked together into a family, mm-hmm. and species will be ra- ranked into genuses. So mm-hmm. it's really just a classification system. So anyway, we we put these specimens into con- uh, into cabinets in the herbarium, and they're kept in a climate controlled atmosphere, and to help preserve them. And sure. What they are for is really for, uh, I guess, for reference, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, either botanist or horticulturist. Uh, uh, the gardeners will use it sometimes if they're not sure about the identification of a, of a plant. They can come over to it, and it's almost like a plant library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we use it in taxonomy, which is uh, uh, we're dealing with uh, classification and the naming of things. So it's very important. We kind of use them like decks of cards, almost, if you want to think of it that way, where you can lay them out, and then by looking at the similarities or the differences of the plants, you can group them together into, into related, as I said, species or, or genuses. So.
3: so how did you, as a Brooklyn boy, end up with this job?
2: Well, uh, Steve and I were <laughs> talking about this before, actually, in the pizzeria, which was really good pizza, by the way. Uh,
1: See, we're not just the only ones endorsing <laughs> Roberta's. Really we, feed, we try to feed our guests.
2: <laughs> by the way, if my laughing spikes the meter, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but uh, actually, I started out in art. I went to Pratt Institute and studied uh, painting and drawing and illustration. Uh, and, of course, I would always go down to the garden. In fact, we took some class trips there way, way back in the 1970s. Er, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I fell in love with the garden. And I, I went – my route is kind of convoluted. I went – into bartending and waitering tables which, uh, when i was in school and i stuck with that because bartending is very lucrative if you have if you don't know that
3: and if you're an so, artist in new york <laughs> yeah it really helps
2: it really does <laughs> but from there i went to uh into a banking for a year and i really hated that
3: Oy, yeah and then i went into
2: uh, uh, uh contracting and and bartending and then of course i had a, an art career also but you know, it was tough to make a living. Mm-hmm. So I finally said, you know, I love the garden. Why don't I try going volunteering down there? So I did. I started volunteering at the garden. Uh-huh. Uh, and I took the horticultural internship. Mm-hmm. And when I was finished with the, uh, the internship, I was kind of up for two jobs. I was up either in horticulture or in after herbarium because I'd been volunteering there. And whatever job came first, I took, and it happened to be the herbarium. Okay, and I've never looked back since. It's been a great, great it's job. pretty
1: amazing um, that these specimens last such a long time, right? I mean, well, yeah. some of the some of the botanic gardens in Europe have uh, specimens that are hundreds of years old, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
3: I've
2: seen some of them, actually, yeah. That would be interesting. So tell Uh, us
3: about some of the collections at BBG, because they're very impressive. Well,
2: they are, actually. We we do have a very uh, important Mm -hmm. historical collection there. Uh, Brooklyn Botanic Garden was established in 1910 Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, opened to the public in 1912 or 14, I think. But it had actually been the dream of a number of uh, philanthropists and uh, very important people in Brooklyn history to have a botanic garden. They finally were able to establish one in 1910, but... Uh, there were other earlier botanical institutions in Brooklyn. There was the Brooklyn Lyceum, right, and which was a started in the eighteen twenties or eighteen thirties, I think it was. So it was really one of the first uh, botanical institutions in in America uh, for a botanical club, so to speak. Uh, but there was also a sister institution called the Brooklyn Institutes of Art and Sciences, right, which actually was, they were unrelated. They were actually two separate uh, entities, but. Uh, the Brooklyn Lyceum was actually destroyed. It was uh, a building down on Montague Street in in, in Brooklyn Heights. Mm-hmm. And there was a fire around the time of the Civil War. I'm not exactly sure of the year, mm-hmm. 1863. I think it was 1862. And the, and the whole building burned to the ground. But amazingly, mm. somehow, the herbarium survived the fire. <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, that's it, astounding. it's astounding. It's, it's really weird. Uh, the, I do notice that some of the specimens are kind of black.
1: Uh-huh. So that
2: might be some of the older specimens. That, that could be fungal growth or it could i have never had it examined so but it might also be uh, some damage from the fire so that collection went over to the brooklyn institute mm-hmm. the brooklyn institute's an interesting institution because it actually was again a, 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 a cultural institution if they didn't call it back then but it actually constituted the brooklyn academy of music the, uh, the brooklyn museum oh. and the uh, brooklyn botanic garden but the uh, the original Institute actually dates to 1830, and I think the original Academy of Music was also down in Brooklyn Heights.
1: All things cultural. Yeah, yeah. exactly, really. Well, that's when Brooklyn was its own city because it didn't get incorporated until the very end of the 1990s. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of yeah. good that we stayed separate for as long as we did because I don't think otherwise we would have had all these kind of powerful and, and separate institutions, right? Don't you right. think, Alice? No, no,
2: doubt, no, no doubt about it. NYBG yeah. would have absorbed it,
1: probably. They
2: they came close to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Our herbarium at one time was, was almost up for sale. I mean, it was. There were times when uh, the collection was just. Uh, there was a, a. I wouldn't call it a bad time, but it was. It, it, the science department kind of had it has has had its ups and downs at BBG, and right. uh, there was a time when it was it was considered selling it, but luckily they didn't. And since uh, mid 80s, I think in the 90s, with Judy Zook and Donald Moore before him, uh-huh. they realized the importance of the collection. Right. Uh, but it almost would it, it might have been sold to NYBG at, at, yeah. at one time or another. Yeah.
3: The Horticultural Society of New York, where Carmen and I used to work, they sold off their library collection their folios yeah Yeah. well their most valuable yeah parts it's it's really sad it is sad but tell me a little bit about the whitney south seas expedition that Uh, really interests me
2: yeah that's an interesting one it's not it was not garden sponsored uh we didn't have any of our botanists on it uh we had a, a, a quite a pedigree of great botanists that are in our early history not that we don't have any now. We do have some good ones now. <laughs> Steve uh, Lund's like, Steve, uh, <laughs> hello. Yes, we're Steve right here. We're going he to uh,
3: talk about <laughs> Metropolitan. Brian Botanist. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but uh, we did, uh, 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 I forgot the question. What was the question again? Oh, the, about the Whitney the South Whitney, sea. yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, but the Whitney was actually a, uh, 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 It was a trip to go into the Pacific Ocean, not just botany, but actually all the sciences, all the natural sciences. Uh, It was was instituted by the California Institute of of Sciences Mm -hmm. and the uh, Museum of Natural History, Mm -hmm. uh, an American museum here in New York. Uh, and it was a long, long study. But uh, interestingly, we got we bought their a, a duplicate set of the specimens uh, from the Bishop Museum, I believe, back in the in the nineteen twenties.
3: Nineteen twenties. Yeah,
2: and it was a, a fascinating. Uh, it was some really, really great collecting went on there. Uh, there's a, uh, we've got some really, really important collections from uh, actually some areas that have never been collected since, actually. Some of the islands in the South Pacific, they co- they covered thousands of islands on that study, and it was quite interesting. Uh, but wow. it was mainly actually an or- ornithological uh, uh, oh, okay. study. Oh, okay. And there were thousands of bird collections done. In fact, to this day, it's still considered the main study of, of Pacific birds. Uh-huh. Interesting story, too, when I was doing my research on this, that was Rollo Beck was actually a, p- a bird collector, on that trip, and uh, we often are very, very careful about what we collect now. We we don't want to collect something if it's rare, uh, Mm -hmm. if, if we're in the field. Well, he actually came upon a bird called the Guadalupe caracara, which was uh, he thought it was common on the island, and he found 11 of them, and he shot nine of them. For, oh, my God. For this, yeah, it's terrible <laughs> And he left
1: two males? He
2: left... Uh, <laughs> pretty much. It's now, it's now extinct. So, uh, really, really sad story. I hate to
1: laugh, but it is collecting, horrible. Collecting
2: run amok. Yeah. In fact, we, have, we actually have a case of this in our herbarium, but I'll let Steve tell that story a little bit later on, because it's, it's, it's kind of... It's a uh, herbarium specimen we have, which is really interesting to look at, so...
3: And you have some algae in that collection, too. Is we that do. right? Yeah. We have
2: some actually very, very important algae collections. Uh-huh. We have a, a collection from Hooper, uh, who did a collection of Long Island uh, mosses. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, uh, algae back, uh, oh geez, I think it dates to the 1820s. Uh-huh. So it actually was, I think, the only algal study of that time. And it's still... Uh, 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 an important collection and quite beautiful, actually. I think of, of all the specimens... I mean, herbarian specimens can be beautiful things to look at. I yeah. know. Uh, they they're really not just
3: dried and crusty. They no, can they're can be not.
2: really cool. And some of them hold their color very well. Others uh-huh. do not. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, in the case of uh, the algae, they, they really are beautiful. Uh, in fact, in the 19th century, they would even... Uh, take algal specimens and and make landscapes on paper with them. Yeah, they kind I've of seen look those. Like, like and they sell off a lot of money now. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe a Pilfering the collection one day.
3: Yeah. <laughs> see if I as an somewhere. art person, okay, yeah, you never know. You might going to do it. So, so what about um, the archiving of the herbarium and the kind of acidic paper issue? Mm-hmm. And you know, when when did that all start? And have you been able to kind of
2: well, you know, a, a, anybody uh, who's in uh, archiving now or natural history collections, of course, is very worried about the condition of their collection. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are uh, standards that are instituted to try to preserve sure. the collection. So now, uh, for instance, if we, we get our collections in, if we, Steve or I, or anybody in the science, we go collecting now. When those p- collections come back, we put them on 100% cotton rag paper. Mm-hmm. We use reversible glues, polyvinyl acetate. We're very careful about it, but In the past, uh, standards were not so tight. Uh, We do have a lot of collections. that are kind of falling apart. We have to kind of pull them out of the collection and, re- and re- try them. to transfer them. Some yeah. of them it's not easy. If they're glued on, some of the old fish glues that they used to use, they used to use uh, uh, animal uh, glues. Right, right. Uh, and besides the problem of insect infestation, which right. occurred all the time. I bet. Yeah, it could be a real problem. But uh, in fact, we had some bad infestations at BBG years ago. It hasn't happened. We have a new state-of-the-art facility, and since then I have not even seen any dangerous uh, bugs in there? Well, let
1: White me ask you about. Can yeah. you um? Can you photograph them now with, like, high-resolution photography and re- not replace the her- the specimen, let's say, but mm-hmm. be, but make it a photographic image that is close enough
2: mm-hmm. yes, to do. work from? Yes.
1: Okay. Uh, we For the actually, public to look at versus... The
3: <laughs> yes, well, we yeah.
2: were actually part of a, a what's called the Latin American Plant Initiative. And you might not think that Brooklyn Botanic Garden would have something to do with Latin America, but we actually are, are very rich in Latin American-type specimens, which are... Very important herbarium specimens are actually when a botanist collects a uh, plant and it publishes it as a new species, he has to designate one of those specimens as a type, mm-hmm. uh, one of the collections. It doesn't have to be his; it could be someone else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has to designate one as the yardstick for that. And if you're ever doing any work on those that species, you have to go back to that original type and use that as as, as a yard marker for what this what the description means. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and I've I've lost the thought again. This is terrible. What,
3: what, I was just listening and to you and I was actually thinking that your collection is as diverse as is the borough I yeah. would think of people it is, but yeah. can I
2: get back I do remember what yeah. I okay, go <laughs> but we do actually image the, the specimens now and part of the Latin American Plan Initiative is to try to worldwide to image all the Latin American types mm-hmm. so that's what we, we were part of that and so we actually got a scanner by the Mellon Foundation was nice enough to provide that So we actually new scan them at high resolution. These are huge, huge files that we scan them at, and they're available online to scientific institutions. And in the past, where we had to actually uh, uh, mail them out, Uh, we would send them all over the world. Yeah, of course, you lose type specimens. You lose important collections that way. You know, it's, it's you know, it all depends on how nice your mailman is. So uh, uh, we've, we've been pretty lucky that way, but I've heard other institutions have actually lost whole collections. In fact, I, I got a letter from Q the other day, and they were, they, we just got a loan in from them, and they will not send out complete collections of any one genus now because in one collection… They're afraid, right. Well, they actually, guard burned all the specimens because they what? didn't know what they were. Yeah, so they lost half of their collections, including very important historical collections in this one genus. So you have to be very careful about how you do it. Right. So this is a way, if you image them, and nine nine times out of ten, a botanist can use those images, as Mm -hmm. as opposed to, there are times when he needs the actual specimen there. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, they can use those images, and they're almost as good as the original, so.
3: Historically, what do you think is the most significant
2: piece in your collection? Historically? uh, Ooh, that's a tough question. Uh, We do have uh, a a complete set of greys, Graminier and Cyperaceae, which is a two bound editions uh, and that, that, that uh, what happens is they were often split up uh, mm-hmm. but we have the original bound edition which are that's kind of rare uh-huh. uh, the al- some of the algae specimens are very rare uh-huh. uh, uh, we do have the Heller collection which is also a very important collection uh so a complete in harbor which is a very important collection of western north america yeah i was
3: going to say the heller collection is all western, western oriented yeah, a lot of species. california and nevada yeah.
2: intermountain species right which around is
3: there. amazing because that was really you know early 1900s you know and meanwhile brooklyn is this you know thriving city of very industrial time and place mm-hmm. and then meanwhile you know there's like this vast landscape that That isn't explored or is just being explored, so
2: it's fascinating, actually yeah, for, for really the first time, for the, the first fir- time, specimen. and it's coming
3: yeah. back to brooklyn
2: and come and it and it did. And uh, you know, we actually had one of our botanists that actually went on a very important collection down in South America called the Mulford expedition, uh-huh. Uh, it's a very it's a it's it's actually a, an example of how not to run an expedition because <laughs> they really had a, a it was a, a major a major uh, debacle. Yeah, this. and it's, it's actually like Shackleton, <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> Park. They, they didn't have to climb mountains to get back to civilization. <laughs> but they actually did. Ha- uh, they had uh, it was more of a problem personalities. A lot they they uh-huh. had four or five botanists together, and what That's they, do, they were doing it was it is dangerous. <laughs> it really is. And Steve, what, what they, do you
3: think about that? Bunch <laughs> of botanists together.
4: Well, it depends if whether there's alcohol or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about botanists and taxonomists? Somebody, I forget who it was. Maybe Catherine Powis was like, "There's two kinds of taxonomists: the clumpers and the Lumpers, sp- clumpers and the splitters." Yeah. I think. <laughs> yes. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And they can't be in the same room together.
2: <laughs> no, they can't. Kind they of hate each other. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. I, I actually
3: just watched a documentary about um, paleontology in in the states Mm -hmm. and um there, there were two paleontologists, in, yeah. one in Philadelphia and one here. Sounds in New like York. the beginning of a joke. There was know, two, paleontologists <laughs> two paleontologists walking, walking to the above. frontier with <laughs> fossil land, I guess. No, but they were—they had huge fights back and forth yeah. about who was going to get this collection and pickaxes who they, involved. <laughs> who they were working for, and I'm sure it was the same with botany.
4: Well, you know, you had uh, yeah, you, you uh, talk about the acacia rancor that's going on well, right now. Well,
2: right now there's actually a big battle going on in in, in uh, t- the taxonomic world on nomenclature on acacia. And I could get into the details, but there may be a war between uh, Africa and Australia. <laughs> okay, hold that thought. We have to take oh, yes. a break. Sure, sure. We'll be
3: right back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network.
2: Sure.
0: Following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Thursday at 1 p.m., Heather Hyman and Aaron Fairbanks explore the real roles in building a strong community and sustainable farm system. They get nitty gritty with the people producing our food. They explore distribution networks, dissect policy issues, and converse with some of the nation's most important agents for change to examine current events in the world of agriculture and food. Join them every Thursday live at 1 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network, where all is grist for the mill.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We We also press plants and dry them. Yeah. Today we're talking (laughs) with... um, Two staff members of Brooklyn Botanic Garden, Paul Harwood, the herbarium supervisor, and Steve Glenn, manager of the Metropolitan Flora Project. That song that you were just listening to is by a band called Herbarium, (laughs) Dreamers Who Are Brooders is the name. So before the break, we were talking about um, kind of explorative, these explorative searches into foreign lands, bringing back... And specimens. battling taxonomists and yes. botanists. And, and fights that happen in the field. So you were talking
1: about Australia and... Africa? Africa? Yeah. They want to claim the acacias?
2: They do want to claim the acacias. <laughs> Australia wants to claim the acacias. And and, and uh, Africa wants to, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all uh, what's uh, called, you know, you, you, you put a name to a species. And yeah. The and the actual type for the acacia, the name acacia, <laughs> is by a Linnaean name, actually, and it It actually is an African plant, but that doesn't necessarily protect it from being usurped, well, I wouldn't say usurped, but uh, brought to another plant. There are acacias in in Australia too, but uh, they've found through molecular work that they really are unrelated and they should be split into two different genuses, actually, three different genuses, I believe. uh, but there are more there are thousands more uh, specimens of what are called wattles uh, in in Australia, and they 're very very different from the African plant mm-hmm. uh, so th- uh, Australia wanted acacia and Africa wanted acacia and There was a meeting about it, and the name kind of went to Australia, and Africa is kind of like really really upset about it and they 've mm-hmm. kind of banded together and there's actually going to be a meeting in Australia this year to to decide in Australia (laughs) Australia, yeah so whether to decide whether Africa gets the name Acacia or, or Australia does and I'm Ooh, trying to remember Well, the, name the real occasion. And please if you heard the name up. of the other genus, which I'm I'm not remembering right now, and if I come up with it, I'll, you'll you'll wonder also. You'll know why they won Acacia because it's one of those long Latin names that are just. That's
3: a good story. We'll yeah, have to have you yeah, back yeah. To, so, to finish that. We'll give story. You an update on how. It yeah, goes. warring botanists. So. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us a little bit about the Metropolitan Flora Project and what what <clears> you do.
4: Well, it started roughly around 1994, and the name's a little bit misleading. Actually, it covers a much larger area than the New York Metropolitan Flora Project. We cover 25 counties in the three-state area. We cover all of northern New Jersey as far south as Mercer and Monmouth counties, roughly okay. down to Trenton. Uh-huh. We go as far upstate in New York as far as Putnam and Orange counties, just okay. past Newburgh, and we also do Fairfield County, Connecticut.
3: Uh-huh. That's where I'm from.
4: Okay, and also all of Long Island as well. So 25 counties, roughly 7,600 square miles, Okay. and we've taken the whole area we've broken up into a five by five kilometer grid system that's the basis for our study so everything that we see or record or get literature historical data from is geocoded to this five by five kilometer grid system And that's how we can make very detailed distribution maps of species throughout the entire tri-state area
1: so it's a current distribution map of what's what plant life is living and
4: historical as well and historical not only do we incorporate our data that we collect um in the field currently, but we also go to, we visit other herbaria in, their tri- in the area away from Philadelphia up to Harvard to Cornell. There are roughly 10 herbaria in this region that we cover, and we try and get historical data from what was collected in our area. And we can also look at temporal trends that way too and see what's disappearing. Uh-huh. And we've actually noticed that. We've, we've noticed about 100 native species uh, which show a marked decline in the last 100 years, and we've targeted those species for further research.
3: Uh huh. So tell us about some of those species. What's missing?
4: Well, a lot of them, unfortunately, are orchids. Mm, um,
1: I'm not surprised.
3: And yeah.
4: relating to that story, t- Paul was talking about the the guy who shot nine out of eleven birds. There was a there's an orchid that used to occur on Long Island, which is now extinct, and we actually have a, an old record of it in our herbarium, and the label says. A handwritten label on on this specimen says saw two took both, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. so there was a little bit of overzealousness in some of the collecting yeah. early on. So. And
3: now Miscanthus has been planted in its place. Yeah.
4: So. Well, that's the other thing we do too. We also yeah. monitor the incredible rise of non-native Invasive, species right. and invasives. Right. I mean, there are. There's a debate among ecologists, you know, what is invasive as opposed to what's non-native. Certain things are are ubiquitously non-native, like Queen lace, Stalkus carota, the wild carrot. Mm-hmm. That's certainly ubiquitous, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's invasive because it's not significantly displacing native vegetation. But other things like garlic mustard and there's, there's, other, there's a whole suite of invasive things that are really becoming prominent in our area, unfortunately, now. And, uh, unfortunately, in many cases, they're, they're, too, they're already too well established to really do much about them. Uh-huh. But our hope is that we can we can detect nascent invasive uh, spots, you know, nascent oh, uh, species just coming in. And we've actually done that. We've we found about six to eight new non-native species that have come in in the last 10, 20 years that none of the regional flora manuals even knew about.
3: Oh, cool. So just
4: the fact that we're out there doing this is helping, helping us to detect these new in, uh, nascent in, in, infestations.
3: Uh-huh. So are you working then with, with growers to, to kind of get these kind of good friends back into the environment?
4: Well, we do work with uh, the Native Plant Center in mm-hmm. Staten Island and the Greenbelt uh-huh. Nursery, who, uh-huh. who specialize in growing native plants f- to help uh, do mitigation and restoration projects around mm-hmm. the, the five boroughs area. We do uh, uh, point out seed sources for them when we're out doing field work. Uh-huh. And uh, we also work with the Nature Conservancy, Conservancy on Long Island. Uh, on a committee there to evaluate uh, non-native species that are especially used in the nursery trade to see what their invasive potential is. So we do work with them at some point, but we don't physically go out and do any removal or remedi- remediation ourselves. No, we just right. go out and document and Yeah, so
2: right. But in an advisory capacity, uh, the work that's being done in Long Island is going to be used by the state, and eventually there will be laws against invasive ...species being sold in New York State. Good. A lot of other states have instituted laws like that. And this the work that's being done on this is actually going to be used as in an advisory way for Good. determining which species not that will not be able to be sold in New York state.
3: Right, cuz then the home gardener will be planting things that are appropriate instead of inappropriate. Exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: it has to be driven it has to come from that direction. And you cuz Alice and I found in our work, you can really direct people, you know, to certain kinds of plants. You know, they need to be educated and 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 helped, you know, with it. Like a lot of people ask us for uh, honeysuckle and for other things that are like very invasive and we explain to them why or, it's not I'm driving down the Jersey Turnpike and I see that frag, that. That grass that's so beautiful.
3: Can I get that grass instead of like bamboo? Or and we're like, what? Phragmites? What? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. Like, <laughs> or well, bittersweet. Well, we ha- go, I have to have bittersweet. Yeah.
3: A
4: classic example is how hard it is to get people to change. Is one of the worst invaders in our area is the Japanese barberry, Berberis thunbergii. Yeah. It covers woodland areas. The deer won't eat it. Unfortunately, it just smothers out all native vegetation. Right. And I go to this place for year after year, called the Jenny Jump State Forest, down in Warren County, New Jersey. And they always had, right in front of the park offices, a planter just full of fruit laden Japanese barberries <laughs> right yeah. there, right in front of the park <laughs> headquarters. And I kept yeah. telling them, and finally they got rid of it last year. But <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's like banging your head against yeah. a cement yeah, yeah. wall. Sometimes it's it is, yeah. Really nutty. So, tell us what a typical field day for you is like.
4: Steve. Well, usually I go out from April to November, it's usually my field season. In the in, in winter, I'm usually doing databasing, map making, herbarium work, things like that. But the field season's from April to November, October. And I usually go out Wednesday through Friday or Saturday, two or three days. And I stay overnight. I find little mom-and-pop roadside motels and stay there. I actually, have data- I actually have a database of all the mom-and-pop roadside motels in the tri-state <laughs> area.
3: So, and, and your next project is going to be to write a uh, tourist well, book? Well, people
4: told me to do that. We, we <laughs> yeah. told them you should do that. Yeah, yeah. I have all these little databases, Database for... Permits and for motels and things like that. Actually,
1: botanists welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: The, the, the databases are actually like my Erzach children. I gave them birth. I've watched them grow. And yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, sure. Yeah.
4: But I, I go out Wednesday morning usually, and, and wherever place, I usually, I actually use the database and the mapping to, sh- to to locate data deficient blocks. These five by five kilometer blocks. I spend an entire day in this five by five kilometer block, trying to hit as many habitats as I can. I walk. I. I, I kayak I, we snorkel we scuba or whatever wow. we scuba. so we try all different kind of modes to get in different habitats and we find actually snorkeling is a much easier way to get along pond marks instead of trying to m- work your way through the muck instead of trying to defeat the muck just avoid it altogether and, and just swim through and it just, and just glide, glide serenely over the top of it and right. so, so we try all different kinds of methods and different habitats and that, that's the, the the point is you can probably get a better uh, higher number of different species if you hit different habitats so I spend a, basically an entire day as I said, walking, hiking, whatever, around, and making notes of what I see. And then I get back in the office on the at the end of the week, and that all goes into a database. And then I make maps from the database.
3: How much um, of your work is suburban in nature versus rural? Uh, I'd
4: say it's somewhat uh, sub- suburban. I'd say out of the 7,600 square miles, most of it's... Is rural But there is There are definitely Areas and We do cover the whole city So even there, mm-hmm. I do areas in, in Brooklyn or Queens Where it's Very hard to find Yeah You know uh, Little wood patches Or along uh, the railroads Or something like that You can find some spontaneous But we're not doing Street trees I like to emphasize We're not doing anything Street trees Right really cultivated. So Right, right. In, in urban areas It is hard to find Natural areas And also when you go Into big parks Like Prospect Park Or Central Park It's hard to determine uh, you have to have a very critical eye. Is this a cultivate Is this something persisting from cultivation, or did it actually come in spontaneously? We're only interested in things that are coming in spontaneously.
3: spontaneously right. For instance,
4: if I'm in a park setting, and I see a a pine that's not native out in the in the yard, I won't count it. But if I see a ceiling twenty feet away in the edge of the woods, I would say, okay, that ceiling is escaping, so I would count that species as escaping there. Escaping, or or adventive,
3: or adventive,
4: or escaping, whatever. Right. It is. Yeah, so yeah. have
1: you ever found yourself, you know? Um, in a situation on someone's property by mistake or you know where they're wondering what you were doing oh yeah you
4: know? <laughs> I, I, I get that question all the time i have, I have the police call me all the time uh, i think there's a prowler out there you see a guy wandering around <laughs> talking to <laughs> a microphone I
3: mean.
4: and, <laughs> yeah, i'm out there I'm, uh, <laughs>
1: with a notepad yeah. and a microphone yeah. <laughs> or snorkeling yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would make me call the police oh, yeah.
4: Yeah, I've had the police call on me several times. and I had, I had some guy threaten to shoot me up in Orange County years ago. I was going to say, look,
1: I bet
3: you... I was,
4: I was standing on the roadside looking at his tree, just, just looking at his tree with the binoculars. <laughs> he wondered what I was doing. So,
1: that bo- so Something's good. wrong with that boy? you
3: yeah.
4: got to get him
1: off that street. And when I, you leave the five boroughs, I believe, having been a native <laughs> New Yorker, there's a lot of danger out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There
3: <is>. and, <laughs> That's what's wrong <laughs> that's with that's New, that's Yorkers. That's <laughs> New Yorkers.
4: <laughs> and just a couple years ago, I was down in Mama <laughs> County, New Jersey, and I was looking at some weeds along a ditch, and some homeowner across the road came up and goes, what what's what's the matter i go oh no, no just, just looking at plants he goes looking at plants <laughs> well I that's to, just
3: weeds Yeah, yeah. I,
4: and i try to explain to what i was doing and he, he couldn't believe it, and he went away shaking his head going i'd still it just sounds strange to me you know,
3: I <laughs> <laughs> that boy just ain't right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well um so what is the future then for the flora project where is it going well
4: honestly we're still in that just sort of inventory phase you know okay. we still have a lot of herberry to visit they're We have right now. We have roughly three hundred and ten thousand records for the flora project. But I estimate we probably have several tens, if not hundreds of thousands, records still to to collect from uh, regional herbaria.
1: Mm -hmm. You said it includes Philadelphia,
4: Philadelphia, and
1: and Harvard. Does it have? um, Is Bartram's collection still in Philadelphia? Actually,
4: I don't know. Uh, The old Lewis and Clark collection is still in Philadelphia. In fact, Philadelphia houses some of the oldest botanical collections in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: And then, um, but so, is there any? So there must be some overlapping between what Philadelphia has and, say, what Harvard has, especially if you're in Fairfield County or if mm-hmm. you're in lower New Jersey. So then you can kind of coordinate with, with those two institutions, right?
4: Well, we, we do share data with them if they, if they ask for us. Uh, uh-huh. but they don't really have – they're not really doing –
3: Contemporary work,
4: right? It right. Mo- floristic work. They do yeah. are, most people these days are into the sexy, sexy molecular kind of stuff. So, uh-huh. uh, regional floristic work. Uh, I, I should stress difference between a florist and a floristics. Floristics yeah, is you, floristics is where you you actually doing fl- floral work. You're out there doing uh, looking at plants and forth out in the wild. Whereas the florist is you know some guy. Sitting in a shop Arranging something Yeah right Right.
3: Where you buy your Cheesy bouquet Right Right. You know
4: the old Philosophical conundrum About if a tree falls In in a forest And no one's around Does it make a sound Uh I like to pervert it And say if a tree fell in a forest And no one's around Would he make a sound
3: (laughs) That's awesome (laughs) I would hope so (laughs) So um, Then does the herbarium contain all of Steve's findings?
2: It, it, all, all, of the, all of our collections. You know, all of us collect in the science department. So uh-huh. uh, anything we collect goes into our herbarium. But more than that, we also collect uh, not just one of everything. We collect three or four copies of each collection we do. Uh-huh. And what we do is we share the wealth that way, too. We will send those duplicates out to other herbaria. Uh-huh. So this way, in, in just in case something happens to our herbaria or whatever have you, right. there are other copies out of the same data. Right. And, and
4: right. A, that so. also helps other herbaria because they don't have to take the expense to send boxes. And someplace in the other world, I sure. think they can have, they have exchange programs, and they have stuff come to them, exactly. right? Yeah.
3: So, um, in in other parts of the country, Steve, are there similar? Contemporary studies happening. There
4: have been other urban floors, but not to the type of detail that we do. There was a flora Chicago region done by Lloyd Swink back in the '80s, I believe. But that was only down to the county level, just a county dot map. So it does not really show the precise distribution that our five by five kilometer grid system does. Uh-huh. There's also a flora I think of ongoing right now of San Diego or San Diego County, uh-huh. but not that many regional or, or urban floors that I know of. There are others in the in the out in the other parts of the world outside the U.S. as well, but not a lot in the U.S. that I'm aware of.
3: That's really, really, really. Amazing that you're doing
1: that How long do you think It will take To get that done
4: I don't think it'll be done In my lifetime I'm, I'm planning on working If my knees hold out Until at least 70 So it's yeah. another uh, 16 years or so Right But I, I doubt If I'll finish it In my lifetime But uh, hopefully We'll have a good start Hopefully we'll have a good A good baseline data set For anyone who wants To do future research here 100 years 1000 years from now Yeah They'll have a, they'll have a great baseline data set of what was here right now at the time, time capsule right yeah. yeah
1: that's what we were talking about when we had our show um it sort of related um, the botanical illustration show um we, we you know we focused on the art aspect of it but it was so informative you know, it mm-hmm. was really and inf- it was it was, um, you know, the drawings and everything were, were, were scientific as well. You know, mm-hmm. it was a way of we learned so much about the history of plants and species and everything through that work. Uh huh.
3: Right. Know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's well,
2: well, what she was researching that, you know, for the for the show. Uh, I I listened to the broadcast and Carol is also my girlfriend so <laughs> I do have some input on this but she uh she the research was she had a, a lot of fun doing the research on that uh, looking up the plants and seeing the scientific work that was being done on them. So yeah, it's it
3: good to have a boyfriend that's the head of the herbariums. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming
2: handy.
1: Yeah. Right now. yeah. So I have a question. Can so can the public uh, view the specimens? Are they ever open to the public, or do they put them on display at all?
2: Uh, Digitally, we, probably. We uh, uh, again, these are uh, scientific specimens, mm-hmm. but we do. If if anybody calls me and and, and says, uh, can I come in and take a look at the collection? I will show them the collection. Okay. It's it, it, it's we're a public institution, therefore okay. we have to show it. Uh, Again, we we don't have the the specimens out for people to do. of course. But I will bring out specimens and show people the herbarium and give them a tour of it so they can see it. Uh, And I believe in in my dream I have is actually to finally have like an herbarium a month, a specimen every month. You know, put it on the website and just tell the story behind it because that's you realize great. every one of these specimens has a collection uh, has a story behind it.
3: Yeah, that's you know? and that's the beauty, and yeah. and that's what Carmen and I are trying to do with this radio show is kind of get horticulture into people's daily lives, and you know. Not just the how-to,
1: you know, there's lots of information on how to do that, how to grow roses, how to prune roses, how, no, you know, all how that they, stuff.
3: How you interact with them and historically right. how right. people interacted with them.
1: When we went recently, we got a a little sort of behind-the-scenes tour with one of the librarians at the New York Botanic Garden. And I had, you know, it 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 also is a public institution and people didn't know that you can go there and look at these amazing books you know, yeah, mm-hmm. all you have to do is ask, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so I went in there and I had a list of books that I wanted to see in person, you know, because we've seen the prints and we've seen everything. But to actually see a book that was printed like 400 years ago and to see how beautiful it was preserved and 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 all of the you know, you it could really connect at a very at a very different level with, the you know, you can remember and think about the person that that went and botanized yep. and then the artist, you know, reproducing it and documenting right. it. It's a—it's an amazing connection. I personally, I'm really into like historically plant hunters of the 19th century, you know. So I love to see the drawings that resulted from those expeditions, expeditions. Well, you know. Uh,
2: uh, okay, uh, it just comes back to the herbarium because yeah. we have the original collections of John Tory, we have collections by Michaux. We have collections by Nuttall. We have collections so, by uh, so so. Tell know, uh,
3: tell our listeners a little bit who these people were. Well,
2: these were you know these were the original American botanists. These were the ones uh, who went out there explored the, the country. Well, it, amazingly, believe it or not, a, a lot of uh, the descriptions of a lot of our native flora is actually done by Linnaeus mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of his students went out and collected in the Americas back in the 18th yeah. century. So you'll find that a lot of the names were were described by Linnaeus, but subsequent to that. There were the American botanists, the originals who came out in you know, like John Bartram and yes, uh-huh. I love Bartram, Bartram. The Bartrams, father and son, did a mm-hmm. lot of work down in the southeast. Uh, here in the northeast, there were a lot of other botanists: John Torrey, uh, uh, uh Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg. There were a lot of uh, great botanists, and uh, Douglas. Our collection, yes, and Douglas. Douglas. Uh, interesting death too on him. Uh,
1: oh, uh, I know. That's a pretty really great. Story. To, yeah, he gave
2: his life for uh, for botany. no doubt about it, uh, but. Uh, so we, these collections are very historical and we do, because we have an historical collection, we happen to have a lot of their specimens in the herbarium. So you can actually look at the actual collections by him and it's kind of interesting because you actually get to know their handwriting because back then they used to handwrite yeah. their labels. Now They're it's no all books, done computer-generated. Right, yeah. so. But right. it, it is it is always a sense of wonder I have. Even, you know, 12 years I've been at this job and if I open a herbarium specimen and um, there's always a story. Like the other day, I have to tell this because... I was just amazingly surprised by it. But it was uh, Edelweiss, you know the uh you know the plant. Oh, yeah, and it was, yeah. yeah uh, the Anthropodon, which right. is a plant that <laughs> grows in, in the in the mountains of Europe, all the way into Asia. Uh huh. And I came upon a specimen, I opened it up and it was it was actually it was like a corsage that a botanist back in the nineteen twenties, he was one of our regular C. H. Hall who was a reverend uh but it was a uh, a lot of the early botanists were also reverends because they knew Latin, so they would actually they they drew a drawn t- drawn to that botanical Latin. Uh-huh. So, um, but it was a corsage that he had obviously been to a, some kind of wedding with the edelweiss and had this. this grass in it that had been spray painted green and he had actually pressed the clissage and made a herbarian specimen out of it and i was just like i I just was blown away by it because it's like you know talk about a story there (laughs) it's right there it's not a a scientific specimen but no but it's kind of pretty to see it's a timepiece it is is, is. well maybe
1: botanizing in the 19th century sense might come back i mean because people lots of people botanized (laughs) then right i mean
4: there's another talk about the other perils of botanizing there was a uh, botanist in around 1913 in, in an island at Ambon, I believe, in Indonesia, who was uh, had red hair and a big red beard. He'd been out in the bush for quite a while and kind of got lost and disoriented. and Was thirsty and he didn't know the language very well. Supposedly he came into this village, and actually in the, in the area of the village there was a there was a old hair, uh, story uh, or myth of a red haired devil. That oh, great! In the area. And he came in and he said something. He, he's asking to cut him a coconut, and they thought he said. I'm going to cut your head So actually they killed him Yeah they, didn't know, they get the words mixed up Kopala versus coppola Head yeah, versus yeah. coconut So I, you have to know
3: Austin
2: Your language helps translation It helps to know The language Right
3: I, I, I feel like this is going to be A Tom Hanks movie shortly sure. <laughs> <laughs> Castaway, Gone <laughs> rye Or mm-hmm. something <laughs> Well, thanks you guys for joining us and for sharing sure. us what you know, sharing with us what you do because it's so important and it's right here in our backyard mm-hmm. for our New York listeners. And please, listeners, go to the Botanic Garden, volunteer to work with Steve. Right? You yeah, take, you take volunteers?
4: volunteers if they want to. I mean, I'd, sometimes it might be a bit rigorous or it might be buggy or yeah, muddy or, or poison right. ivy. But you have to enjoy the outside outdoors. Right? And but
2: and you have to be if, a hardy type. Yeah. But if you feel like uh, gluing specimens to paper, you're always welcome to come down and volunteer well i'm good with that (laughs) (laughs) so So we need those
3: yeah thanks you guys for coming in and and talking about historical and contemporary botany and and what bbg does so thanks for listening you've been listening to we dig plants on the heritage radio network thanks to jack insley for producing and engineering thanks to roberta's pizza and to whole foods as our sponsor happy gardening
5: Quick Block Party! Block Party! It's a party in the street! Free Pizza by Roberta! Death Killer Death Wrestling! Featuring the legendary Mad Dog Toast Though! Photo Booth by Ryan Slack! Waterworld. World! Closed by Chimerodactyl! Mary Meyer! Warren Bogart! Death Killer Asphalt Resistant Gene! food for your face! Sweet Soda by p and Roberta's Bake Sale Heritage Food USA <laughs> Eating Contest by the R.N. Brothers Live music by Alex Druchin Florida Paper Twin Dang Sign The Netherlands Team Rose Pierre Wild Yak. MC Todd and Bo Breezy Night Show Yeah! Sponsored by Martin Greenfield Clothers Free Fitness Studio Heritage Radio Network Free Williamsburg Six Point Beer Momos Sushi Shack Beer Box USA Planet of the Bates Bushwick Block Party It's a party in the street
6: All day long Finger on the Pulse and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival August 6th from noon to 4pm The barbecue is happening at City Winery located at 155 Varick Street in New York City Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Mofar, Imperial No. 9, Mile End, Craft, Craft, Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Computer Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at CityWinery.com. Finger on the pole for CityWinery would like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rekha Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com.